Cars are our future, Tom. I am sure that I have heard you say that, right? Uh, so many times, Pete. Yes. It's like listening to a mirror. <laughs> Thanks to our past, Tom, uh, computers can also be the future of our anxiety fever dreams. Oh, if you have that special, special sweet kind of anxiety I like to call entomophobia or a visit to Tom's suicide closet. I, I'm going to tell you the title of a book, and I want you to wait until I get to the end of it before you look at your shelf, at those 10 books that you have on your shelf, and you say, hey, yep. I've read that. Okay, are you ready? You ready. Biologia Centralia, Americana Zoology, Botany, and Archaeology, as edited by Frederick Duquesne Godman and Osbert Salvin. Wow, that's all the words. That yeah. is from the year 1892, and it is available in full at archive.org or the Biodiversity Heritage Library. And in that book, you will find all kinds of detail about bugs. Like, for example, Cryptocephalus testudinius. Mm. Mm -hmm. Flavus or fulvus antenna as long as the body. Black and basal joints, fulvus. Thorax, impucta. I don't know what that word is. The sides and two obscure spots on the base, yellowish elytra with eight large flavus spots divided by narrow fulvus bands and interstices more or less convex. Are you keeping up? I think so. I like that seems like the most specific thing in the world. And then he just throws in a moral. Well, and then you get his, <laughs> like, his actual editorial comment. Cetus didinius resembles the pattern of the elytra C14 pustulatus or C orcalatus and several other species. But I cannot identify it with either of these, the antenna being very long and extending quite to the apex of the elytra. I don't even, what does that even mean? No idea. If you were an enterprising AI researcher and you decided to see what would happen if a computer chewed on all of this detail, this level of detail okay. from this ancient book of bugs, if this computer looked at all of the pictures of bugs and said, huh. These are history bugs. What would happen if I invented future bugs? Then you might get this. I am texting you a video. Can you describe what you see? I'm not convinced that I want to press play. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is not threatening. Oh, okay, and that, I think, is the problem. Please describe what you see. Pressing play. It's a bugs sort of morphing into other bugs. Oh, this is fine. It's like an old-timey drawing of bugs. It is. That's exactly what it is. So what this, this comes from Bernard Cuny, a product designer specializing in digital fabrication. He says, through the Biodiversity Heritage Library, I discovered the book Biologia Centralia, Americana, Zoology, Botany, and Archaeology, hosted over at archive.org. It's got all of these public domain illustrations of beetles, mm. all kinds of beetles. And so he put all of these designs and details into this computer using all kinds of brand new fancy uh, AI and machine learning tools and created a little ditty I like to call evolution. Mm. He calls it confusing coleopterists. None of the bugs that you're seeing right now, Tom, exist. What? None of them do. They are all manufactured by the brains and nightmares of the computer. And I thought that's great because as we wrap up season four, I just want to really hammer home that we don't even know where tomorrow's anxieties are going to come from. Computer bugs. Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. <laughs> and I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it. And hopefully laugh about it with all of you and it's our season finale, Pete. That's right. So stop talking to us. <laughs> I take that back. You can reach yeah. out if you want, but it might be a while before you hear anything from us. Send us a story of your anxieties, or if you just want to share the love, you can do it directly with us at somethingstinky at whatsthatsmell.net. Somethingstinky mm. at whatsthatsmell.net. And with that, Tom, hello. we're going to do a listener submission. Right up top. And how. <laughs> 
have a listener submission. It is it is the last one we have in the queue right now. Uh, and we weren't even planning on doing a listener submission today, but then this one came in and it was just, it was, I think, honestly, it was so appropriate to what we are talking about today later. Mm. I felt like we just have to do a little house cleaning and talk about this one together. Yeah. Yep. Also, I know that it's something that you and I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think we both relate to this one. Oh my God. Is that fair? It's so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> And spoiler alert, unlike usual, we have both read this listener submission. We're sort of tag teaming it in order to try something a little bit different for our final episode for this season. It's a little bit of a long one. So I was hoping we could we could do a little splitsies. Mm, Okay, And we can take this in in two parts. This is a listener submission in two parts. Uh, I would like to first start by presenting part one of this anxiety, and then we will go into part two. So uh, how about this? I will go ahead and read the first part, and then we'll talk about it. And then you will read the second part, beginning where I left off, and then we'll talk about that. Oh, exciting. Okay, that sounds good. I don't know if, I don't know if it's exciting. I don't know about anything. <laughs> I think that will come clear. <laughs> I have this embarrassing and inconvenient anxiety. My problem is that I have anxiety about doing work. Mm. The thought of working, taking action, and putting in effort makes me extremely anxious. I'm a chronic procrastinator because of this, and possibly also because of my ADHD. When I know I have to do something, I experience paralyzing anxiety. It's this bit of a catch-22 because I feel anxious about working, but I also feel anxious because I'm not doing anything. This anxiety has put me in a loop of underachieving and shame. I live a life of just doing enough and cutting corners to meet my most basic needs. I have a hard time getting up and just doing something. Instead, I just sit, stand there, looking at what I'm supposed to do and thinking of everything I have to do while I drown in my anxiety. Everything starts racing in my head, and even the most simplest of tasks feels tedious and difficult. Mm. Thus ends part one. Okay. Of what we have in here, this catch-22, this loop where anxiety leads to underachieving and uh, lack of productivity and just feeling crappy about the universe. (laughs) Where does that hit you? Can't relate. I'm doing great. Anyways, (laughs) uh, well, first of all, thank you so much. she or he has signed it hopelessly lazy. We'll get to that. So I just wanted to, we'll call him uh, HL, if that's okay. Thank you so much, HL, for Mm -hmm. submitting. No, I can absolutely relate to this. Um, It's actually why I started therapy uh, with my Mm -hmm. current therapist. Many, many years ago, I had shot all the footage for a short film, and it was time for me to edit it. But every time I would sit at the computer to start, my hands would start shaking. And I'd feel a little faint. And this went on for weeks. Uh, I think I was having minor panic attacks. Uh, And it was a mixture of feeling overwhelmed by the work ahead, fear Mm -hmm. that the footage I'd shot wasn't good enough, which would lead then the overall film to be a failure. And it was this terrible cycle where I would push the work for the day. I would get a very small, short rush of relief. But then the worry about the task is compounded. And it makes Mm -hmm. it even harder to start the next time. And it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And yeah, it's a terrible cycle. It is a terrible cycle, and it's incredibly difficult to break out of it. The challenge is, for me, and I'll, I, I'm, I'll speak a little bit to the ADHD stuff mm. because I have some background in that. Um, uh, but uh, more broadly, I, I'm exactly... <laughs> You're the worst. Uh, I feel like uh, when you are in this cycle, like the, the way out of this of this particular cycle when you're overwhelmed by work is to figure out how to break the work down, right? This is the, this is the thing that, I mean, I shout this from the rooftops. I shout it at myself from rooftops. I have speakers in my office that (laughs) shout at me, break the work down, you dummy. Because when I am overwhelmed by that, I, it's usually that the next first step is way too big. Yes. Like it's a thing. I can't eat the whole elephant. I can't see the whole elephant until I stop and break the work down. But when you're stuck in overwhelm, it is incredibly difficult. It requires a force or an act of nature to push you out of this out of this thing. So yeah. for me, it it always it, you know, it always ends up first and foremost being driven by some 
external motivator, mm-hmm. which is like, I need someone else to call me and say, here's what you do first. Right. right? And, and most of the time they don't know they're doing that. <laughs> right. They're, most of the time they're calling me to say, where the hell have you been? And I'm under my bed. I'm not even in bed anymore. I'm under bed in in uh, uh, drowning in anxiety myself. But also on a rooftop, which is weird. Also on a rooftop shouting. <laughs> no wonder you're mirror. anxious. Yeah. It's so. a rough life, Thomas. <laughs> so I uh, so but but it's it is that act. It's that like simple push. It's somebody as an acting as kind of an accountability partner saying, hey, hey, just do this one little thing. Just do this one next thing. And often I can wrap my head around the thing after that. Mm-hmm. And I can start taking the big elephant and I can say, OK, you know what? Let's focus on the little tiny hairs at the very end of the very tip right. of the tail. Yeah. That goes into exactly what I was saying. I was already worried that the final product of the short film wouldn't be good, which was stopping me from even watching the footage (laughs) to start anxiety. How much of your experience of this kind of these kind of like work related anxiety attacks, like not being able to move is a result of not having done the thing that you're about to do in this way before, like you've already made short films. Right. So what was it about the last short film that was, that was hard? And by extension, what is it that allowed you to continue to make your first feature film, which is not just an elephant, but like a mammoth right. or a herd of mammoths. <laughs> oh, so you've seen it. So take all of that. You can break it down yeah. as what you want. That was, <laughs> that was all it. the words in a row. And yeah. it's take now them it's all, my break turn. them down. Yeah. Um, go. What had made that one so hard? Oh, I had shot it. I was the I was my own DP. Okay. And I'd never done that before, and so I was really worried that I had let myself and the people that I made the film with down by not lighting well enough or not holding the camera steady. I don't know. I think that was yeah. it. That was the big unknown part. And so I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You sit down at the computer, you've got all the footage ingested and you're ready to go and you just can't turn it on because you can't bring yourself to even look at it. Correct. Because then that would be the evidence of the failure. Yeah. So Schrodinger's footage. Right. Right now, the footage is (laughs) both crappy and amazing at the same time. Exactly. And you can fool. I would fool myself into like right now. It can be great. Yeah. Until I look at it, forgetting that I'm as uh hl said i'm drowning in anxiety (laughs) like i'm not the rush i get from delaying something talking about procrastinating delaying something i think i almost get addicted to it because i forget that it's it's so fleeting Mm -hmm. because i'm in the time when i'm like okay i'm not going to do it i give myself the day off i'm thinking about it the entire time (laughs) i'm always marinating in the fact that i have to do this thing that I'm really scared of. And the unknown part uh, is a really big part of it. I have learned, learned everything that I say, I know rationally. (laughs) I don't know if that doesn't mean that I don't still do it all the time, but I've started to learn to build confusion into the steps. That way I'm not taking on the entire thing. Like the first Mm -hmm. step, if I'm sort of breaking it down into bite-sized chunks, which I think is extremely important, so you don't just Mm -hmm. feel like you're taking on the world all at once, build confusion into that first step. Meaning the first step is, I have to figure out what I have. I have to figure out what to do. The unknown is always going to be scarier than the known, because my brain is so good at making everything seem so scary (laughs) that without looking at it, I call it like setting, uh, getting my briefcase ready. Like before I can do the job, I have to know what all I have and really look at it. And then invariably, it's never that hard. Mm -hmm. It's never as hard as I think it will be. It never takes quite as long as I think it will. And all I did. Even if you do things badly, like the tools that you have at your disposal are often good enough that you can make it work. Absolutely. I haven't completely failed at something in a long time. But it's like I'm always reacting like I just failed at something. I I think I for me, it sits in a um, I I did fail at something. (laughs) Hooray. God, all of this brings up something I haven't thought about in years since 2006. 
Oh, you're going to talk about it? Like I know what it is. Oh, it's so terrible. <laughs> no, it, well, I don't know if you know what this is. I don't feel like I've talked about it with anybody since so. 2006. I was sent to uh, California. I had my first client, the like my first big video client when I went freelance. Uh, they actually hired me and sa- it was actually a dear friend of mine whose wife at her company hired me to go down to California to a prominent university in California and interview a uh, an instructor there like a professor okay. there for some work that he was doing for them and so it was just it was just talking heads in a classroom and i didn't you know i i didn't want to travel with all my gear so i set up so i mm-hmm. rent a bunch of gear down there so i just traveled with my camera but i rented the lights and i did uh, you know i rented all the screens and everything else i needed had it delivered to the university i went over and i set it all up mm-hmm. and uh, i shot it and there was nothing about the resultant video that was salvageable. Oh, no. Except the audio, which was amazing. Maybe this defines why I podcast so much. Uh, (laughs) He just took the video out of it. Oh, no. The light was terrible, hard shadows. I just didn't notice stuff, and I was so nervous. It was like my first one, and I didn't notice anything. And the tools I had at my disposal were not good enough at the time to help me resolve these things. He looked bad. He looked, he looked uncomfortable even. Oh my God. Uh, like I made, I made his life worse for my existence in it. Like it was a terrible <laughs> thing. And I lost the client. And I feel like the only thing that would have been made worse is me, like, actually getting in a car accident on the way back to the gear rental place and destroying all of their equipment. (laughs) I didn't, thank God, uh, but I didn't. Like, it was terrible. It was terrible. I will say, for any potential clients out there, things have gotten much better for me. I'm not kidding. (laughs) That's a terrible resume. (laughs) I know. It's the worst. I feel terrible about it. And my dear friend whose wife hired me, they ended up divorcing. Not over me, I hope, many years later. But it's like the story just it's just dominoes of terrible all at it. And in my head, it all starts with my terrible interview that no one is thinking about now, you know, 13 years later. But it's it. So what have you, uh, why do you bring this uh, up? Have you l- learned something yes. from this? Okay. Well, yes, because I think, why do you bring this up? What's your point? Well, I'm just outing <laughs> yourself as a terrible videographer <laughs> in public like this. Great question, yeah. Tom, because I think for me, like you said that no- nothing that you've done has been a, a total failure. In a long time. I think, I think for me, a lot of my anxiety is that I do still, in the back of my mind, carry around this time yeah. that I was a total failure. Yep. I lost. It was terrible. And so any new project I take on, the first thing I think about is, oh, my God, what if? What if it's as bad as that? Yeah. What if I waste their time and money? What if I don't deliver on time? Right. Just like that one time that was True. It's I'm not making up a story in my head like I do with so many other things. Hmm. This was a legitimate, terrible experience for everyone. <laughs> and right? <a> divorce. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that okay. judge killed himself <laughs> oh, God, in the divorce court. <laughs> Is that not funny? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Gallows humor, Tom. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the judge is fine. It, but it is, I that, mean, anyway, that so is such a sign that of trauma in that yeah. that's what you remember instead of all of the successful projects you've had since. Yes. Success exactly. is so fleeting. And it's like, yeah. And I'm, I feel like I've had a lot of those too, even though I haven't. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because every uh-huh. time, this is the time that I'm going to blow it. This yeah, one. Right. This is the one where everything falls apart. Um, yeah, I have trouble taking, I've said it many times, I have trouble taking confidence from my past success and applying it to future projects because this is the time. Totally. So before we get into that, that leads us to part two okay. of the anxiety. Can you pick up from I can. where I left off? I can. Okay. So HL goes on to say, Sometimes I feel like I hate work, which is something super unacceptable in our society that celebrates productivity and ridicules idleness. I'm not sure if this is also a fear of failure and or success, if it's perfectionism, or maybe it's just that my biggest fear of me being a huge lazy bum is true. Sometimes it turns into an identity crisis where I question my life and if I really like and enjoy anything at all. 
Yes, the identity crisis definitely adds to the anxiety, and it definitely halts whatever progress I've made. I'm tired of living way below my potential, but trying to get out of this quicksand-like lake of anxiety has proven to be extremely difficult for me. I'm wondering if anyone can relate to my workophobia. Thanks and love your show, by the way. Tom's the better host. Signed, hopefully lazy, <laughs> hopelessly lazy. That's weird that he put that in there. Tom continuously demonstrates his aptitude with technology, unlike Pete, who has failed once. And, and that represents his entire career. Yeah, P- love, hopelessly lazy. P.S. I saw that video and it's ruined my life. <laughs> Damn you, Pete. Weird. It was was the ring of educational YouTube videos. (laughs) Seven days after your career is over. (laughs) That's right. Oh, God. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, so I, wow. I think this is a, a great way to pick up, right? Some, the, this whole feeling of sometimes I feel like I hate work, right? And and that there is this cultural momentum around, um, you know, or, or I say I, I guess there's kind of a cast, yeah. right? If if there's a if there's a caste system in uh, certainly in the first world, right? Um, it is it exists in uh what it means to be productive and creative and right. and uh you know if you're not always moving if you're not sort of 24/7ing yep. then you're you are doing something wrong right a lot of people's identity is based in their hustle and especially yeah. not especially it's the same everywhere but it's very Big, of course, out here in Hollywood. Well, talk more about that. How do you fit into that? I don't know how I fit into it, but I everyone I meet <laughs> is a producer. Yeah. Like, they all say they're a producer, and then you look them up, or they they just have a bunch of irons in the fire, but everyone is yeah. always pretending to be more than they are. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I've done that, too. I pretend to be a podcaster. <laughs> And my earbuds don't even work, so I don't know what I'm doing. So let's say, so finish that thought. Like people who are have constant irons in the fire. Like how do you uh, fashion yourself as somebody who is like? Do you fashion yourself as somebody who is productive? No, I think I'm way underproductive. Unfortunately, uh, I it, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whoa! Oh, wait. Oh. I'm sorry to interrupt. That oh. that was rude. Why did you say unfortunately? Because I think stuff hustle, yeah, <laughs> hustling and being productive is just equated with being good, being active. I don't know, like everything I watch, everything that I see, it's just constantly sort of reminding me I didn't make that. I'm yeah. not doing that. I think I fall for everything leads to that. Everything is. I just I watch Shark Tank. That's and Shark not Tank great. is <laughs> I love Shark Tank, but I think it also makes me feel bad. In the yeah. same way that Nike ads make me feel bad. <laughs> like I'm watching these people run in the morning dew and have their like ponytail and a messy bun because they just gotta get out there and hit the pavement. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, as I sit there and watch them do that. <laughs> And I'm not doing any of that thing. I don't know. I yeah. feel I always feel like I'm not measuring up. That I think is the issue for me. And yeah. that's what makes me when I start to hate my work, it's yep. because I start comparing myself to somebody else and not my own product. Yeah. It was it it is when I think about that experience of like doing a terrible thing for a client, like creating something that was not up to standard. The the only way that I'm able to move past it is by looking at like closely, like intentionally sitting down and thinking, what was it about the thing I did immediately after that that was better than the thing before? Because mm. if I start comparing Comparing it to somebody else's educational videos, I'm in real trouble uh, sure. because theirs is obviously better. But if I compare it to my own, if I say I did, you know, I got the lighting right, I, I was able to get through my own anxiety to focus on camera placement and shadows and all of those things. Like comparing it to myself, my own past, that puts me in a much better headspace than mm-hmm. comparing it against someone else or some cultural representation of what it means to be productive and successful. And and that is the the only thing that allows me to get um, to get myself out of the darkness that that cycle of of hating work, right. which is you know, self-loathing and self-judgment. That's a way of retroactively breaking it down. Yeah. It's so important to break things down into small steps. And then if you break it down retroactively, you can remember what you did right. Right. And with me, the idea of feeling like I'm never 
measuring up, one of the things that I would love for HL and me to do more of is separate performance and self-worth. That's the big deal. That who I am and what I achieve are very different things because there's so much more worth in me if I'm nice to me that I can then like my accomplishments, identity, family, passions, travels, friends, taste, knowledge, all of challenges I've overcome, everything, how I treat other people. Those have nothing mm-hmm. to do with how many movies I've made or how many scripts I've right. written or anything like that. Uh, and so if I make something that isn't great, that doesn't mean that I am a mess. Now, what about this idea that it's that we don't that we ridicule idleness? It feels very American. I think it's a part of it does. dumb American exceptionalism, which is yeah. not a which is not a compliment, America. American no. exceptionalism is we are the best because we are the best, and we are always screaming that we are the best. It's very important to us. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not good. I think culturally, I I struggle with it. And I feel like my I'm uh, I I feel like I belong in like culturally in a different place. Oh. <laughs> like I spent some time in France when I was in high school and hmm. and the whole like they just like they're they have their chill yeah. on lock. <laughs> I mean seriously, like that place is like, it was so easy to find an easy chair. Like, you know what I mean? Like you want to sit down at, <laughs> you, 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 like you just, can relax. France is lousy comes, with easy chairs. They're so all over the place. Easy chairs. Oh. Uh, 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 la chaise facile is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a big deal. So I, uh, I just feel like, like I was in a homestead. I was in high school. And so I, I, my memory of it is that every time I turned around, like the, the dad who was in the family that I was staying with, like he would go to work, he'd come back a few hours later and, and like sit down in his easy chair. And then he would relax for like two hours. Hours. And then he'd get up and he'd be like, okay, I'm going to go back and do a little work. And he'd come back three hours later and then he's done for the day. Like it just, I, I know there are people in France who work hard, but you get my point. Like he did not define who he was right. by what he did. And I think that's a thing that's, that is, um, is super important. And I try to remember that, like when I'm doing something, the reason I, I, when I find I don't hate work, it's because I'm doing a thing that is closer I, that I closer identify to me, my identity and my and what I get joy from. And it's taken a career to figure out what do I not want to do for other people? Like, what do I not want to define myself as as, you know, as doing? It's taken decades to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I feel like I did. And I, I was able to kind of wake up and realize, you know, I kind of enjoy going to work when I'm doing the stuff that is that is super me. Hmm. And for you, I like I look at that and I think, sure, there are things about making a movie that that suck. But as a director, you have to like, you know, there are going to be things that you're not going to want to do, but you're also making a movie. And there's a lot of joy that comes with that. Yes, of course there is. A hundred percent. It takes work to make sure that the nonsense doesn't get in the way. Mm-hmm. of the joy because it's just me talking to myself one of the biggest things i think about procrastinizing procrastinizing <laughs> <laughs> that's new one of the biggest things about procrastinating is knowing yourself knowing what you need in order to keep things moving i figured out that i needed therapy <laughs> in order to help me figure out what i was so afraid of and then now i know and we can get more into this in the second uh, subject, but uh, I need accountability. Mm-hmm. If something makes me a little bit nervous and there's no accountability, no one's waiting for it or there's no deadline, I will never do it. <laughs> so sometimes I just need to <laughs> tell people I'm going to do it by here. And if I don't do it by here, I need you to ask me why. A, you're not hopelessly lazy. You're suffering from fear. And fear is real and anxiety is real. And you are not alone. If you want to look on the internet about procrastination, there's 900 million different lists telling you what kind of to do um, and different ways to break things up, accountability, break it up into small tasks, yeah. give yourself a time limit. That's actually what I had to do for the short film that I had to do is instead of saying, I'm going to figure this all out right now, I'm going to work on this for 10 minutes. And then I'm going to take a break. And then I would just watch uh, 
you know, footage for 10 minutes, then I would leave and then I would come back and that just helped demystify it. That the unknown, again, will always be worse in your mind. And so if you can just take a little stab at it, then I think it will just be a lot easier in order to break through that. But it's yeah, tough. Yeah. It's a real struggle. It is tough. Yeah. Well, and I want to up the ante just a little bit. Oh. You know, we have HL who says uh, they are hopelessly lazy. I'm exceptionally lazy. I mean, if you've heard any of the recent podcasts, like the, <laughs> I, I have devoted so much of my time looking for life hacks and shortcuts <laughs> that I actually feel bad about it. Um, the the. I think it's okay uh, to recontextualize what is giving you shame about this stuff and and just mm. like uh, try to celebrate the act of idleness. Maybe call it something else. Maybe you get to call idleness mindfulness, right? Just tell everybody <laughs> that you meditate and they'll be so chill and super impressed with you and your and your mindfulness practice. And then you don't have to be ridiculed, right? Uh, and, and while you're on the way, you can do all of the other things that help you to get to the other side of these things. And I want to say one more that I don't know is a healthy practice for me, but it's, it is, uh, I'll call it an accommodation. And it's accommodation in line with, you know, setting timers and like, I have all kinds of alarms to remind me to do X, Y, Z by ABC. Uh, it's really important for me to have these accommodations living with my own uh, ADHD and the fireworks in my brain. But this whole idea of like of being a procrastinator for me that became an energy management tool hmm. where i i just knew that the fee the feeling of anxiety that i was experiencing leading up to a deadline knowing that i wasn't actively working on something was not about me uh, just not wanting to do the work but in the back of my mind something was churning away and so when the adrenaline rush hits, like the night before the thing is due, I kind of miraculously can pull it out. Right. And that's not a healthy way to live. But I but came that to terms works with it. For you, yeah, that's a part yeah. of knowing yourself. Yeah. Yes. And it took 20 years. Yeah. It took all through college. It took most of my professional career to realize, you know what? This actually may be just who I am. It may be just how I live and I need to, for big projects, for important work, I need to ride that wave a little bit. And once yeah. you start accepting it, it's much easier to start making choices around how you spend your time and what you do to stay healthy and all of those things to just not feel bad about it. I think it may be a little bit idealistic to just recontextualize what makes you feel bad. But I also think that there is really something to like what you said, like knowing yourself yeah. and being able to make choices about your future that better align you with maybe, yeah, your dream job someday. Some something that you you won't feel bad about or, or negative about getting out of bed to do. If you work better under pressure, when your back mm -hmm. when your back is against the wall and you just sort of know that about yourself, then you can change. Don't talk about it being your back against the wall. Come mm -hmm. up with a cool phrase. I'm riding the deadline. I like that adrenaline rush when it's, you know, it helps oh, yeah. me really like feel when I know that it's something is due really soon and there's accountability for it. Uh, sometimes it really helps me focus. You, Tom, I can't believe you just did this. What? You just came up with a new what's that smell? ultimate truth product. I, I did? Mm -hmm. Oh boy, what is it? It's not procrastination. I'm riding the dragon. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? You just tell people riding the deadline you're dragon. riding the dragon yep. and you're also a mind, have a mindfulness practice. And you can solve all that. We just spent 30 minutes talking about this whole thing and all you have to do is say, I ride the dragon. It's part of my mindfulness practice. And people will shut up. <laughs> Procrastination is solved. You're welcome. <laughs> Check. This year in anxiety, Tom. Oh. Yeah, we're right in it. The year is 1804. Oh, I love that year. This is my favorite thing that I think I have ever found for this year in anxiety. And I'm going to say something that I know has been controversial uh, in the past uh, between you and me specifically. Okay. You think you've got it bad. 
<laughs> if you were living in 1804 and you happened to uh, have uh, trouble with your uh, mental state and you were perhaps diagnosed with brain congestion. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. You got a stuffy Erasmus- brain? Erasmus Darwin, grandfather of Charles Darwin of the Darwins, proposed the use of centrifugal force to treat mental illness. It was called rotational therapy, (laughs) and it decreased brain congestion by increasing pressure. All you'd have to do is sit in a box and relax in a tranquil state, and then they would spin the box, Tom. They would spin it. And they would, the whole idea was that you would spin and swing to change blood flow in the head or body, and uh, it was not effective. In fact, the outcomes (laughs) were usually not uh, a better mental state, but instead nausea, vomiting, and convulsions. Absolutely. But often, a refreshing sleep followed. Oh, like you know. (laughs) God. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. There's a zillion books. You can listen to them all, and you will be helping support the show. Pete? I have a book. It's called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear by Elizabeth Gilbert. Tom. Okay. (laughs) All right. Now, listen. Look, Tom. I don't want to make any comments about Elizabeth Gilbert because I have mentioned this book to other people and they respond, oh, Elizabeth Gilbert, that's the eat, pray, love woman. Oh, I thought her name sounded familiar. Yes, the New York Times bestselling Eat, Pray, Love, One Woman Search for Everything Across Italy, India, and Indonesia. I, I have not read it. My wife read it. She doesn't talk about it much. I don't know anything about it. All I'm talking about is Big Magic. Now, Big Magic is a book that I think nails what HL was talking about. It is a, a whole story about how it, it it's like your somewhat inebriated uncle at a party is coming to you and saying, get off your ass. Uh, life oh. is hard. And also, I love you. And this is... <laughs> It's really, it has become a book that is very important to me um, because it it doesn't just talk about, it, it talks about the, the entire, like your life with creativity. And it doesn't just mean like how to paint pictures and make music. It's how to be a creative person living in the universe. Ooh. And so I find it a wonderfully uh, uh, inspirational book. It, it resets me when I need to be just kind of gently yelled at wow. in a way that is, that I accept. And I can take the advice and move on with what works for me and uh, disregard what uh, doesn't. And generally, uh, I love Big Magic Creative Living Beyond Fear by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's only five hours and six minutes. Oh, get to it. So for you, the listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Again, visit audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. And with that, Pete, how about we talk about ourselves a little bit more? Uh, In the first segment, of course, we were talking about procrastination, and avid listeners of this podcast will have heard you using a phrase (laughs) that very much involves procrastination. It is a lovely phrase that is both gross and incredibly apt. You call it sweat prepping. I made that up as a result of this show. Yeah. (laughs) You know that? Like, that's not a new, that's not an old thing. That's not like, oh, that's a term Pete uses. No, that is directly related to my work with you. (laughs) For listeners that don't know, leading up to us starting to record, invariably, Pete and I start texting each other in all caps, sweat prepping, running out of time. Oh my God. Because no matter how much we try to prepare for this show, we are always running out of time. And that is crazy. That has to do with procrastination. And that is uh, our, we started with a listener uh, submission. Our personal anxiety that we want to finish off this season with is this show. (laughs) Pete and I love doing this show so much. We love the listener response. And it also gives us anxiety. (laughs) 
And I thought that maybe we should actually bring it up and just talk about it very briefly. I adore that this was, and this was like, I think this was your idea originally. Right. right. I mean, I think this was a thing that was, that weighs heavy on your mind. And I love th- that this is your, this is your thing this week. Um, yeah. And I'm mostly because as I was thinking about it, I was wondering like, what is it about doing this show? Maybe I should say doing this show with me <laughs> that okay. gives Tom anxiety because I, <laughs> my hypothesis is that our anxieties will be about the show will be kind of a Venn diagram and they will overlap in the middle, but they will be unique in some fun ways. So uh, that's what my hope is. Interesting. Okay. Where? Yes. What do you think? Where would, where does your anxiety live around this show? Part of it is built into the DNA in that we surprise each other. It's almost like doing improv that Uh a lot of shows, uh, either they're in the same room or they've done the exact same research about something. Mm-hmm. And every week I'm like, well, hopefully this will work. <laughs> like that's talk about like a HL not uh, attributing past success. Maybe I don't know. If I should say that we've had past success for this dumb podcast. But <laughs> every episode, there's a part of me that's like, this is the one that you haven't done enough research for. Yep. Or what you're saying is not going to be interesting. <laughs> or we won't think of an out. Or we won't have a joke to make or anything like that. Everything is sort of an exciting adventure. And it, I do say exciting adventure because then every single time we record, I feel like I'm so glad we're doing this. But there is a little bit of avoidance to it when it's leading up, which leads to sweat prepping. What, what was it that I think it was Mark Twain who's who, speaking of the classics uh, said that uh, the classics are books that everybody wants to have read but nobody wants to read <laughs> right right the but infinite there's a little bit, yeah there's a little bit of that in this show for me i adore having done each episode of this show with you like i really do <laughs> but <laughs> the but, act of creation is yeah. enormously troublesome for me and so i think you're i think you're right for me it, it does start with the surprise factor the fact that we've never like i think in in our history of doing the show we've collided like once where we just couldn't figure out how to talk about someone's anxiety like it just was not working uh there have been a few touchy ones where we just weren't sure how to approach it and that's scary like when you're in the middle of the conversation and you don't got anything else um (laughs) yeah mostly for for those people that think that this is just an unedited conversation between us (laughs) A lot of it is that, but Pete also does an enormous amount of work. I'm when, just going to mark the time. Look at you. Look at your podcast, Black Rectangle, and just note where the show is <laughs> by time. Because right now I'm at 55:22. My yeah. recording is. We've at been 55, talking for 55 minutes. Yeah. Let's just see as a thought experiment, as a practical experiment, uh, how much we cut. <laughs> so now you'll know. Up to now, it's been a hot, hot, flaming mess. So, and I, I actively take advantage of you, Pete, because <laughs> I will start a sentence, not know where I'm going, and then just sort of go, the end, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then you'll go, okay, well, let's try it again. And you have to edit that out to make me sound like a viable human being. <laughs> okay, so you, you, the way you are positioning that is is really self-deprecating and unfairly so, because that goes into my other <laughs> major anxiety about doing the show with you, oh. is that I hold you as a creator and comedian in such high esteem, like your ability to riff off of dumb stuff that I say, or (laughs) like my long winded diatribes, like your ability to jump in and make me laugh. I like, I so deeply respect that, that I walk around in constant shame. What am I possibly doing on (laughs) this show? Right. Yeah, totally. Like I come to this show thinking like I am way out of my place like punching so far above weight uh because like you're oh, Mr. finally Fancy someone and you're says it funny and- <laughs> See, why would you do that i'm about to cry no uh, and and so like i i just i take that very seriously and so every week i mean we're going on this is the end of our fourth season doing the show Damn. uh over three years yep and i still think about that every day i oh. have no purpose here with tom that is still in the back of my head. That's, I mean it. Well, my version of that is you're one of the smartest people that I know. And so I'm always trying to measure up. And also you are doing all of the heavy work. 
And so when I do end a sentence with the end, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I feel bad because that's another in out that you have to do in the 900,000 in outs that we have. I, I get a lot of joy having done, having recorded the show because I know that the material that you create is often, you know, makes me laugh. It makes me laugh consistently. Even if no one else is laughing, I am laughing with us in, in the edit. And so I <laughs> really the other enjoy name it. For like this it, podcast. It, <laughs> no <laughs> one's laughing with, with us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> No one's laughing with us. Um, and, and so I know that that's fun. And so I, I feel like just having a lot of raw material to work with, like anything, is is sure. fun. I, I think the the third thing that gives me great anxiety is the fact, and, and this I'll speak for both of us, uh, that we are not doctors. No. At all. Like at not all. even a right. little bit doctor. And so um, I I bring that too, like thinking, wow, God, I don't even know if the sources I'm looking at are totally. But the one thing I do have that <laughs> do I you have remember to that keep one episode back, where I quoted a noted a, plagiarist, a noted plagiarist, <laughs> and didn't know it until I got to that actual part in the cut and paste. Jesus. <laughs> I but but I do have to carry this like this is a really important thing for me that I have to remember that I am an expert in being a guy that lives with anxiety and right. shame and self-judgment right. and self-loathing and all of those things. Yeah, I do have an ex a certain uh, brand of expertise that is unique to my experience. <laughs> and, and I have to talk. I have to think my way through that yeah. every single week. Right. No, I don't really know about, you know, uh, specific anxiety disorders and how to treat them because I haven't gone to school for that. But right. I do know how to live with them right. and I do know how to talk about them and how they make me feel. So. I think that's when we're potentially at our best is when we're sort of staying in our lane. Yeah. If you're if any of our listeners are in deep, deep pain, you have to. <laughs> Don't use us as your doctor. Turn of off course. this show. <laughs> exactly, because we're just... And one other anxiety is we are two middle-aged white guys. Yep. And so sometimes I feel it's we need to be careful about when our views are appropriate to stuff down yep. people's throats. There have been certain topics that we have tried, re-listened to, and we're like, you know what? You know what the world doesn't need? <laughs> us. Two white guys, two talking, white guys about talking about this problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God! Yeah. What, what do you what do you carry? Do you have any any uh, anxieties that you still carry around? I I remember season one there were some anxieties around just doing a podcast. Do you still have those like the technical anxieties? The like those kinds of do you still live with those? Because you've gotten you're now an expert podcaster. You say you're not. You've been podcasting for years, man. Not just this show, but others. So <laughs> are you over yourself <laughs> about the technical stuff? Only yeah. because I know that you will save me, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I asked you in season three for suggestions about earphones as you brought up. You haven't sent me one, so I haven't bought them. <laughs> so I'm not growing as a technical person. No. But when you said you still have anxieties hanging around, one last anxiety that I want to talk about about this show is after almost every episode this season, I feel like I'm running out of anxieties to talk about. But yeah. then another one always pops up. That's not a part of sweat prepping. What I just need to do is be with myself. I've yeah. learned that sometimes I'm like, Ugh, if this one feels like it's too manufactured, it is. And just walk around. You'll remember something that you're something worried about. Something will come up. Yeah. Absolutely. Right before you smash a bottle of vodka into the wall. <laughs> Jeez. Still my favorite story. Still your favorite story. Uh, maybe not my favorite. <laughs> Certainly top five. <laughs> what a sad life I lead. Uh, it, it, I, I absolutely share that one, and, mm -hmm. and I worry about it, and I think that's one of those things that I've carried around since season one. It was the thing we talked about quite extensively, which was this whole idea that, um, you know, if all we're doing is hanging out our personal, like, anxiety laundry, yeah. really all we're doing is painting ourselves as incredible, incredibly messed up people. <laughs> I and um, I, I sort of gotten over that, but... Uh, like you said, like I just walk outside and there's something else that I look at. That I'm like, oh, trucks tipping over. Didn't know I lived with that until I saw that. And now it's all I think about. Yeah. I perseverate on it when I go to sleep. Last night, just last night, Tom, I, I woke up this morning having to share this dream with my wife. I dreamt 
I that my wife and both of my kids left me like literally left me like separated from me, but did so in such a passive aggressive way uh, that they just said in this dream, don't worry, we're just moving in with this other guy in his house. Uh, He's because he's an FBI investigator and we're worried about the government. And then he put them in a box truck and drove them to Indiana, at which point it blew off the road. And that looped in my head so much. every time I wanted to go to sleep and uh, over and over and over again. So I did not like I woke up about every 10 minutes last night, starting about two o'clock because of the FBI separation truck blowing over looping anxiety. Don't even get me started on the next dream, which was of a little baby eating the sun over and over and over and over again. Like these are the like I was woke up in just like sweat dreaming. You are legitimately bad at dreaming <laughs> yeah so that, bad like a baby eating the sun that actually sounds adorable <laughs> not adorable no? stop you're feeding it <laughs> oh i don't know i kind of want to see that baby eat the sun. just last night truck blowing over i live with these anxieties that we talk about in a way that that um that is deeply unsettling yeah I introduced the podcast to someone new recently and they listened to some episodes and they texted me Wow, you're really just putting it all out there, huh? And I was like, oh, right. Shame. Like, I haven't, I forgot that we're not talking just to each other. <laughs> I but forget that we're too. In it. Yeah. I do. We are in it uh, at the end of season four. I will say, uh, um, I, I feel like uh, I've, I've gotten much better at, at dealing with needles and stuff. Really? I, yeah. Yeah, that that work uh, that started in season one has has been I can talk about it and have conversations about it. I, you know, I after going through my dad's uh, experience uh, of the the heart stuff and and having to experience that in the hospital. Exposure therapy works, people. I mean, I feel uh, like I'm in a much better space. I haven't had to have my own blood drawn in a while, and that still makes me nervous, but I'm, I'm getting there. So I hope that this that our experience like serves as a. A warning for others. <laughs> I guess. It, yeah. Well, I mean, much in the same kind of way, I was in an Uber coming back from the airport not too long ago, and I noticed that an ant was crawling on my arm and I screamed. <laughs> so I haven't gotten better <laughs> at all. <laughs> so good luck to all of us. <laughs> We're just doing our best. <laughs> I screamed in front of a stranger, Pete. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you, everybody, so Sorry. much. This has been a wonderful season. We will be back for another one sooner than later. Uh, Pete, final words? Six Semper Anxietus, Tom. What does that mean, Pete? Thus always to anxiety. Ha-ha! What? <laughs> <laughs> season four, y'all. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is No Matter How Hard We Try by Moon. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next season on What's That Smell? We can-